What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. We got a very special show lined up for you guys today. It's the first real show, so I'm, I'm amped. I'm ready to go. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk, talk NBA. We're going to break down the playoffs right now. Round two has already started. We have a couple of game sevens coming your way. We're going to have a lot, of down, a lot of fun breaking that stuff down. But we also have a very special guest joining us on the show today to chat some MMA, to chat some UFC, and that is the best man out there chatting MMA, John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. You guys remember him from all the episodes that he has on MMA Junkie, but also he's usually the guy that gets to ask the first question before any big-time pay-per-view event for the UFC. We're going to break down these fights, and we're going to get his thoughts on what's going to happen this week at UFC Vegas number 9, and we're also going to break down what happened at UFC Vegas number 8 this past weekend, where Alexander Rakic completely demolished Anthony Lionheart Smith. Also, Tuesday Night Contender Series. Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series starts again today, and we're going to preview the best matches of the day. That's going to start up in a couple of hours, so y'all stay tuned. First things first, we're going to go to the NBA because right now that is what is on fire. We have two Game 7s coming up hot this week. Tonight, we have Utah and Denver. Game 7, that's the most exciting game considering how the series has been all season long. I don't just say the playoffs. I literally mean all season long. When you look at the results between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz, they have been throwing haymakers at each other all season long, from the first game of the season to the playoff game that just happened at number six. And tonight, we get to see number seven. Who's going to be the man dropping 50 tonight? Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell? That's really the big question. Which guy steps up? Whoever has the bad game, I expect that team to lose. I do think that role players are going to be a big thing in this game today. When you look at Joe Ingles, when you look at Royce O'Neal, when you, I don't want to call Rudy Gobert a role player, but in this series, he's really truly only had one great game where he put up a bunch of points and also grabbed a bunch of rebounds and made his mark on the game. We need more Rudy Gobert tonight if you're a Utah Jazz fan. I'm sure if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you're staring at the mirror right now thinking, what do we got to do to get Rudy a 2010 game? 20 points and at least 10 rebounds. That's what the Jazz need if they want to win this game. Their offense opens up a lot more when Rudy Gobert takes up all that attention in the paint. And that frees up Joe Ingles from the outside. That gives Donovan Mitchell more room to roam outside or get in the lane. They love to run the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert because Donovan Mitchell has been elite in this playoff series. I know they're going to game seven, but Donovan Mitchell has been great in every single game. And I expect them to have another great game. He's already done it six times this series. Why not make it number seven? But the same thing goes for Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray has been on fire. Two 50-point games, a 42-point game in this series. He's literally carried Denver in his last two games to get them to a Game 7. Does he show up today in Game 7? That's a big-time question. Game 7s are unlike any other game in a playoff series. It's where the lights are brightest. It's where the players are a little bit more tense in a Game 6 or a Game 5. All records are thrown out the window, and it's what you're going to do right now in the present moment. Who's going to step up, the Jazz or the Denver Nuggets? Is it going to come down to coaching? Is it going to be Mr. Quinn, or is it going to be Mike Malone? You know, Quinn Snyder has had a great series so far, except for game number six. Do I want to say that Coach Quinn Snyder lost the Utah Jazz that game? Eh, no, because, you know, this series has been absolutely crazy. But at the same time, there's no way that you can let Jamal Murray burn you for 50 again 
and not send a double team until the last final two minutes. By that point, it's too late. And in game number six, we saw Quinn Snyder send that double team to Jamal Murray uh, a couple minutes too late. I get to have confidence in your guys. I get that you've won this way the whole entire way. But this is the playoffs. This is where in-game adjustments have to be made. And this is where the great coaches stand out to the good coaches. If your team is in the playoffs, you're probably a pretty good coach. You could, you know, you could handle the ego. You, you know how to get a, a bunch of wins in the season because professional basketball is, in my opinion, the toughest league to make it. You have the fewest amount of guys. Everybody is legit, even to the last guy in the bench. So imagine being the coach and having a bunch of ego on the bench every single day. That's why, in my opinion, if you're in the playoffs, you're a pretty damn good coach. Simple like that. Moving on to the next number seven, because we could literally talk about game seven, Utah-Denver for a whole hour. But the show's got to move on, and we got to get to Oklahoma City and the Houston Rockets. Last night in game six, Chris Paul went vintage Chris Paul. His stat line was incredible. He threw up the assists. He threw up the points. He got you back down. He got you back into the game when the Oklahoma City were down six points late in the fourth quarter. Chris Paul took control of that game after he got a technical foul and then took them to victory over James Harden, Eric Gordon, and uh, Mike D'Antoni of the Houston Rockets. Houston obviously not very thrilled. They got Russell Westbrook back for the last two games. He has been looking like dynamite, except in this previous game where his mid-range jumper was failing him and he was playing too fast for his own good. That last turnover of the game sealed the deal for the Houston Rockets. Russell Westbrook going 1,000 miles an hour and giving an untimely pass, throwing a pass while he's in the air not, you know, to the wrong guy, if anything. Why would Robert Covington be taking the last shot of the game for you? I know that Robert Covington is a lockdown defender. He gets hot from three at times, but you have James Harden on your team. There's no way that Robert Covington should be shooting that last ball to get you into game number, or excuse me, to win you the series. Because if they win that game, they win the series, and on they go to play the Lakers next round. Not the case. Russell Westbrook throws a bad pass to Robert Covington, which he's not able to grab. Even though he was shooting four for six, you do not go to Robert Covington with the last shot of the game unless that's the only player you have to pass the ball to. James Harden has to have the ball in that sequence. I know Mike D'Antoni is probably questioning his thoughts after the game. You know that James Harden's probably thinking, what the hell were we thinking? Let's not overthink the process. Give the ball to me, your NBA All-Star, you know, uh, finalist in the NBA MVP voting almost every single season. You have to give the ball to your best player in that position. Robert Covington has never made a game-winning shot in the playoffs in his life. I don't expect him to do it anytime soon either. And it didn't happen last night. Big mistake for Mike D'Antoni. And it's a mistake that he's made before in the playoffs. When you look at the mistakes that the Phoenix Suns of his made when they had an elite team with Steve Nash, Sean Marion, Rajah Bell, lots of great shooting, but not very good defense. No discipline on the defensive end. And the same goes forward in this sequence with Mike D'Antoni's Houston Rockets. A bunch of elite offensive players with James Harden, Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook. I don't want to say P.J. Tucker because he's more of a D and glue guy and also a three guy. But that guy's a pretty damn good player and he's having a pretty damn good year. But besides that, Robert Covington, a tradeaway piece from Minnesota, a guy who's been around, a good player. But there's some holes in this Houston Rockets offense and defense. And Oklahoma City seems to be getting more confidence after every single game. Especially 
with their running sixth man of the year, Dennis Schroeder from Germany. Man, that guy has been incredible this season. When we talk about the type of player that he was with the Atlanta Hawks and what he is right now, the game is starting to slow down for him. But I have a feeling that Dennis Schroeder came into this league thinking that he is the guy. He's going to be the next Chris Paul. He's going to be a Hall of Fame point guard in the NBA. And sure enough, he learned real quick that he's not as good as he probably thought he was and that his ego was a little bit too high for the NBA. He's brought it back down to earth. He's put the work in the gym, and he's actually probably taken a backseat to Chris Paul because we all know who's driving the ship in Oklahoma City, and it's not Dennis Schroeder. So it's pretty much a teach, a teaching moment for Chris Paul, who has had Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Dennis Schroeder under his wing the entire season. And look where the Thunder got, the five seed in the NBA playoffs, which is crazy considering they broke apart that team year by year. And then they have a bunch of old Clipper players like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, um, Chris Paul. That's a, that's a good lineup. But at the same time, that is not a lineup that should beat the Houston Rockets with James Harden. A Houston Rockets team that traded away Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook for championship aspirations. Those are the types of things that we are seeing with the Houston Rockets. It's championship or bust. And usually when you say those types of words, championship or bust, that means that there's pressure in the building. We've seen it with teams before. This isn't the first time where the teams put pressure on themselves to win a championship or get out of Dodge. Like, we're going to break apart this team, and we're going to build it all around again around James Harden. And who knows? Maybe it's time for James Harden to leave after Houston if they have a destructive collapse against Oklahoma City. We've seen it before with the Clippers and Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. We've seen it with the Sacramento Kings with Chris Webber, Doug Christie, Mike Bibby, and Pejo Stoyakovich. You can't get to the second round for a bunch of years in a row get to the Western Conference Finals with a championship-type team, and never get to the NBA Finals. I understand that the Warriors have been on top for previous years, but this is a win-now league. And if you're not making moves year after year trying to get to the championship, you're going to be left behind. And in this case, the Rockets made a move for Chris Paul, and then they made a move for Russell Westbrook. They are yet to get to the NBA Finals. And we know that uh, owner Daryl Morey, his patience is thin. And he showed that last season when he traded away Chris Paul after an incredible run, which if it probably isn't for Chris Paul pulling his hamstring in game six of the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors, we might be seeing the Houston Rockets. Maybe we would have probably seen them lift the championship trophy two years ago, but that is not the case. So we're back to square one, game sevens, which is the most exciting games you know, at a, at, when it comes to playoff sports, in my opinion, hockey, even with the NBA, there's nothing like a game seven. So the fact that we get two game sevens in the first round, it's a blessing. I'm not going to talk smack about it. I'm not going to think, wow, I wish the Clippers would be playing tomorrow, you know, against the Utah Jazz or the Denver Nuggets because I don't want to wait around for another couple days. Or the same thing goes for the Houston Rockets, you know, if Houston would have won last night, I wouldn't be sitting here today thinking, oh, awesome, we get to get Houston and the Lakers on a Wednesday. You know, I don't want to wait till Friday. I don't want to wait till Thursday. But at the same time, game sevens is what makes the world go round, baby. And that's what we're getting right now with the NBA playoffs. Two game sevens, exciting stuff. We have a lot of movement right now in the second round as well. Yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks went down against the Miami Heat. And some people call it an upset. I don't. When you look at the production that the Miami Heat has had all season long, 
They average 112 points per game. They gave up 100 points per game. They have a great nucleus base. They have Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic. They traded for Andre Iguodala. Tyler Hero is really coming into his own. The rookie out of Kentucky. You know, he has ego, but he has a beautiful shot as well. They've made a player out of Duncan Robinson, the 6'9", 6'10", second-year player out of the University of Michigan, who, in my opinion, had no chance on being in the NBA when he was in college. We're talking about the same Duncan Robinson who put up zero points in the national championship game for Michigan against Villanova. We're talking about the same guy who went to a Division three school, transferred to a Division one school, and then made it in the NBA and is now a starter on a Miami Heat who might be going to the Eastern Conference Finals if the Milwaukee Heat Bucks don't make adjustments. The Heat are well coached. They, they have skilled players at every single position. When you look at the forward, the power forward, the center, the shooting guard, the guard, the small forward, they have a pretty darn good team and they are deep. But the most important thing about the Heat is that they're playing with confidence and they made some great offseason moves. You have to give credit to Pat Riley for bringing over Andre Iguodala, which the Memphis Grizzlies were very reluctant on not trading for so long. And they finally get the deal done. He chooses to go to the Miami Heat. Andre Iguodala must have seen something happening with the Miami Heat that gave him the confidence to say, you know what, I want to win a championship because we all know that Andre Iguodala wants one more championship ring on his hands. That's the way it goes. And he chose the Heat. You know, he could have gone, I don't want to say he could have gone to the Clippers, but there was a bunch of offers. And the Heat, or excuse me, the Memphis Grizzlies were going to take the best offer that was available for them, and the Heat gave them that offer. And, I, and at first, you're thinking, Andre Iguodala isn't getting any minutes in this NBA playoff bubble. Is he really going to help the Heat win? Well, now that we see him in the playoffs, and now that we see him with that defensive mindset, which is probably bringing these young guys even closer together on the Miami Heat, what an acquisition from the Miami Heat. And last but not least, the guy who I haven't talked about yet, but I should have talked about a lot longer, is Jay Crowder, the former Marquette product. You know, the, the the big dreads, the big anchor on the defensive end, the trash talker, the Miami Heat's Patrick Beverly. You know, that's that that's who Jay Crowder is. He could make the three ball, he could D up three, you could D up multiple positions, but he brings that dog out of you. And when I say that dog, I mean that guy who's gonna dive on loose balls. I mean that guy who's not afraid to take the big shot, even if he's 0 for 5 shooting from three. I'm talking about the guy who's gonna defend you when somebody else is in your face. That guy has your back. He is an all-team guy. And Jay Crowder was brought to the Miami Heat for that purpose from the Memphis Grizzlies. And what a move. Because look what we saw against Milwaukee yesterday. We saw Jay Crowder being able to switch off on Giannis Antetokounmpo, the defensive player of the year in the NBA this season. We saw Jimmy Butler get on fire yesterday. We all know that Jimmy Butler could get his buckets. And we all know that he could be a human torch when he gets hot. And that's exactly what he did yesterday, putting up 30-plus points in Game 1 against the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee, also a team that has massive championship aspirations. And we all know what happens if you don't win with with Milwaukee in the next couple years. You're not going to be in Milwaukee for much longer. Can, if, if Giannis does not win a championship with the Milwaukee Bucks in the next three years, Giannis is not going to be on the Milwaukee Bucks for much longer. Small market teams aren't able to carry these types of big players because we know that other big players talk to big players and they tell them, hey, come join us 
at this army? Or how about you come over to this team where this team will give you this much money to build a championship team around? We will build this team around you. And what has Milwaukee done in the offseason after they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals where they lost to the Toronto Raptors last year and Kawhi Leonard? They brought over, I don't know. That's exactly my point. I don't know. Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez was there last year. Dante DiVincenzo, a, a nice guard, but no means a guy that you're going to really come in, you know, to make your roster better after you made the Eastern Conference Finals. How do the Milwaukee Bucks reload? You lose Malcolm Brogdon, who was a big piece to your Eastern Conference run. He's on Indiana now. How do you replace Malcolm Brogdon? With George Hill? George Hill is a point guard that's been being moved around for the last couple years. I don't want to talk smack on George on George Hill. I'm not saying that George Hill can't handle this position, but he has no means an improvement to Malcolm Brogdon. The Milwaukee Bucks never got their roster ready for this season to compete again for a championship. They kind of said, we're going to say, we're going to plateau right here. We're going to stay stable and we're going to keep growing what we thought we had last season. You didn't win last season, Milwaukee. You didn't even win the West, the Eastern Conference Finals. You let Toronto beat you. LeBron James was not in the East last year. So the East was up for grabs, and you could still not take control of that. That's what I have to say about the Bucks. How did they get better? They're not better, and that's why they're down 1-0 against Miami right now. Miami's made the moves. Miami's hot. Miami's fresh. They have the shooters, and they have the pizzazz. I say pizzazz with the flair. They're playing with some flair right now. We saw that flair when they beat up Indiana, who was a very tough team. Indiana was a tough team, and they swept Indiana four games to zero. That's how you know Miami is for real. You don't sweep Oladipo. You don't sweep Miles Turner. You know you don't sweep those guys. LeBron James wasn't even able to sweep those guys. They pushed LeBron James all the way to the tipping point when Indiana was healthy. And Indiana is a pretty damn good team. TJ Warren was putting up 50-point games in the bubble. Jimmy Butler brought him back down to earth. I am all over Miami right now. And I'm going to make a prediction right now. It might sound silly because it's only, it's only been one game. But I'm picking Miami to beat Milwaukee, and I see the Celtics playing Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. And talking about the second round with the Celtics, they had their game one against the Toronto Raptors on Sunday. The Celtics were hot, and they came out of the gates on fire. Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, not Gordon Hayward, because Gordon Hayward's going to be back for the Eastern Conference Finals after the Celtics disassemble the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors... I don't want to say a similar story to the Milwaukee Bucks, but they're kind of on the same boat. How did Toronto get better after losing Kawhi Leonard? Toronto, the reigning NBA champion of the NBA. I know you have Fred Van Vliet. I know that Fred Van Vliet took off last season in the NBA playoffs. I know Fred Van Vliet is a big reason why the Toronto Raptors became champion alongside Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam. Kyle Lowry, Powell, Serge Ibaka. These are the same guys we were talking about last season. What did Toronto do to get better? How, what, do they, what do they bring to give that team more flair? I know that they're having a good season. They have the pieces to have a good season. But do they have the pieces to win an NBA championship? What did the Celtics do after last season? Who did they bring in to make this team better, to, give it, to make it more explosive? They brought in Kemba Walker, NBA All-Star, All-NBA type player. A killer, a guy who could get to the rim, a guy who could shoot the mid-range jump shot, a guy who could shoot the three, a guy that makes your team better. 
a guy that makes your team better in practice, a guy that makes you better because you practice against him. That's what Kemba Walker does, and that's why the Celtics have a 1-0 lead in this series. And that's another reason why the Celtics are going to make the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. I know each series in the second round is 1-0, but these teams are hot. And tonight we're going to get to see the Celtics again take on the Toronto Raptors in Game 2. Fred Van Vliet is going to have to have a much better game. Pascal Siakam is going to have to have a much better game. Both those guys combined in Game 1 went 8 for 32. That's not good enough. Against the Celtics, that's not good enough. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, they are dogs. And they are not scared of the moment. They've played in big-time games. They went very, very far when they were young players where they lost to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers in six games. You know, we're talking about a team that's made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They want to get back there. They understand what it takes to get back there. They've played in big-time games, and they've made big-time shots in big-time moments. I like the Celtics right now. We're going to talk about whatever happens next as the playoffs keep moving forward. But that's what I'm talking about right now. We're talking about the present, and we're only giving a little bit of predictions. The Clippers disarmed the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic, no more. We'll see him next season. And hopefully we get to see Kristaps Porzingis next year as well. Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke. Uh, the, the Dallas Mavericks were looking pretty good in the NBA playoffs for what they had and what they were playing with, considering Porzingis went down, considering the Mavericks are playing with a bunch of injuries. We didn't get to see Jalen Brunson in the series. Uh, also, Dwight Powell not suited up for the Mavericks, who was their starting power forward this season. Uh, we're talking about pretty good pieces for the Dallas Mavericks. That that team is building and it's growing a lot of momentum, and it's gonna you're gonna have a lot of eyes on them in the next couple of years, considering Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis will be playing together for many years to come. But also, Mark Cuban. We know Mark likes to pick up big players. We know he's not afraid to spend some money. That's why he got Porzingis. And he's going to keep making this team better. And in the West, you have to understand, if you're not getting better, you're falling behind. And we've seen that with a number of teams in the West, where if you're going to stay pat, if you're going to stay put, you're probably not going to get much farther than, we, than where you are already at. And that's what I have to say about the Dallas Mavericks. Cheers to them. Cheers to their fan base. But cheers to the effort that they played with in this playoffs, even in the games without Kristaps Porzingis. It was very impressive to watch. Portland, the Portland Trailblazers went down to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers are the only two teams waiting in the Western Conference for the next round. And is it still the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers? Is that all that really matters in this NBA playoffs? I'll say that's all that matters in the West. After what we've been watching, uh, we, we could tell that when it comes to the Lakers and to the Clippers, every other team will not match up well against them. They have two superstars on their teams. They have a bunch of good veteran players. They have outstanding role players. And they have a bunch of high-energy guys like Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Jermichael Green. The list goes on for the Clippers. And I could say something similar with the Los Angeles Lakers, who are playing like a very tight-knit unit. You see a lot of togetherness on that team. And that's what's going to take them to the Western Conference Finals. And straight up, it's going to be Clippers, Lakers, Western Conference Finals. That's no surprise to anybody that's listening to the show right now. We've been talking about that all season long. Nothing has changed. And that is your NBA playoffs wrap-up, man. I know we were getting through this quick because we got a lot, a lot of MMA to chat about. And John Morgan is going to be joining us right around this break. And we're going to talk about what happened this past weekend at UFC 8. 
in Las Vegas and what's to come at UFC 9 in Las Vegas this Saturday. Also, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series is going down tonight. We're going to have some picks and we're going to preview Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series coming up hot right after this break. Y'all take care. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. I told you guys I had a great guest lined up for you guys for episode number one. And here he is, the man himself, John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. You can follow John on Twitter, at MMAJunkieJohn. What's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Happy to be here, brother. It's just uh, crazy, crazy times in MMA, but that's, that's a good thing, man. Happy that we're staying as busy as we are. Yeah, man, we got to stay busy to be happy. I see you doing work all the time covering the biggest fights around the world, no matter what. How's everything been for you covering the sport during this pandemic? It's been a little crazy, right? It has been. I mean, listen, I'm I'm happy to be able to do it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that, that aren't able to work right now. So to be able to do it is a blessing. But it's been really interesting. I mean, obviously, the fights are, are, are always interesting. I always love the fights. But, you know, really being on kind of the leading edge of sports returning during this thing. I mean, going all the way back to May in Jacksonville and, of course, you know, then the trip to Fight Island, Abu Dhabi, and then, you know, continued work here in, in, uh, in Las Vegas. It's been cool, man. It's been really kind of professionally rewarding, I guess, you know, to not only, you know, still be covering the sport I love, but to, you know, this historical time in, 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 our, in our world to kind of be watching it all unfold firsthand has been, has been pretty, pretty interesting, if I'm being honest. No, man, I'm sure it has been. And being able to see you covering the sport all around the world and having you on the show today makes me happy. And I'm sure all the listeners are pumped to get your response and, and your opinion on so many things that have been going on. And you, you said that you were in Abu Dhabi. And, you know, when I think of Abu Dhabi Fight Island, for some reason, the first thing that comes to my mind is Max Holloway and Alex Volkanovsky. Mm. And since, since you just took me back there, man, what did you think of that fight? Who did you have winning that fight? Because we know that there's been controversy about it. Yeah, and I totally get the controversy. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I did score the fight for Alexander Volkanovsky. I had him taking rounds three, four, and five. But I'm telling you, like, I get why people would be frustrated by it because Max looks so good in those opening two rounds. I mean, he clearly uh, was in control. It, it just looked phenomenal, man. It looked, I mean, might have been some of the best we've ever seen. Um, and then three, four, and five, I thought Volkanovsky fought his way back and just, just edged it. I mean, just barely. You're talking about – you know, a couple punches here, a little bit of a move here, you know, things change. So, um, while I did score the fight for Volkanovski, I remember at the, at the end of the final round, um, kind of looking around at some of the other media people that were with me and just going like, did, did he do it? Was that, did he get it? You know, it wasn't one of those emphatic, like, you know, for sure, 100% Volkanovski has done this. Um, but I did think he kind of scratched and clawed his way back in. And I, I felt gutted for Max because uh, obviously he, he looked so, so good early on in that fight. I guess my next question for you is, does that mean uh, it was as close as you just talked about? Does Max Holloway get another shot at Volkanovski for Max versus Volko number three? Or do we get to see what Twitter has been telling us, Volkanovski against Henry Cejudo? You know, we've seen a lot of trash talk between those two little guys. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man. I don't know if Cejudo wants to come back. I mean, I think he would for the right amount of money, but I don't think the UFC really just back up the Brinks truck for him. I mean, there's so many good fights at featherweight. And unfortunately, you know, I think that's the problem right now is I don't think Max is going to get the trilogy just because, you know, certainly you can understand from Volkanovski's point of view. I mean, he said, he's like, what do I got to just keep keep fighting this guy over and over until, you know, he wins? You know what I mean? Is that what we're planning on doing? Because that's not fair. And he wants to beat some of the other people in the division. You know, you got a big fight coming up between Brian Ortega and the Korean Zombie uh, in October. I got to imagine that's, you know, kind of a number one contender's fight. So um, I, I think probably Volkanovski is going to wait for the winner of that fight. I don't think he's in a huge rush to get back right now. Um, and as for Max, it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do. I mean, historically in the UFC, 
if you go zero and two against the champion, you're kind of out of luck in terms of of getting a third crack at him, unless you know you really wait your turn in line and just get rid of all the contenders in the way. So you know it could be an opportunity for him to move to one fifty five. I mean, I know he dabbled there before, but I don't think he really you know bulked up and 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 got himself you know a, you know a special uh, approach to, to being at lightweight for good. You know, so maybe this might be what kind of you know pushes him to make the move lightweight, which which could be good for him in the long run. Interesting stuff from John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. John, this past weekend, we saw the light heavyweight division go at it. You know, John Jones has vacated the belt, so it's pretty much up for grabs. I know Dominic Reyes wants a piece of that action, but we saw Anthony Lionheart-Smith get destroyed by Alex Rakic this past weekend. And Alex Rakic now in the mix for uh, for that title shot, possibly, after maybe another win in the light heavyweight division. How do you see the light heavyweight division stacking up, man? Because, honestly, uh, this is my own opinion. I would love to see a Grand Prix in the light heavyweight division. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always love to see that. You know, the, the Grand Prix bell tours and putting on, those are fun. Uh, but, man, Dana White is just adamantly against them. You know, he's like, tournaments just never turn out the way you want. You don't have control of the matchups. And then, you know, weird things happen. So he's just not a fan. Uh, as you said, we got Dominic Reyes and, and Jan Blahovich uh, coming up uh, later this month, and uh, obviously that's for the, the the vacant title. You know, it's it's um it's, it's a little. I feel bad for those guys because I, I don't know how much legitimacy the title is going to be given. You know, right away, uh, just because it, it is John Jones' belt. It's been John Jones' belt for a long, long time, and so I think you know they're going to have to fight for respect a little bit uh, after whoever wins the title. I mean, I think it's going to take a couple of uh, a couple of big before people start to look at it realistically. Um, you know, Rakic is probably, you know, right there in, in terms of, of being in the, in the mix, like you said. Um, and, and, but while the, the, the performance was dominant, I, I just I thought Rakic could have done a little bit more to make it more exciting, to make it more fan appealing. And I, I don't know that fans will be clamoring to see him challenge for the title. So because of that, you know, I think uh, the fight coming up here next week, Glover Teixeira and Tiago Mejeta Santos, uh, I think that winner, you know, provided it's a, a little bit more exciting, um, might have the inside track to, 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 to facing the winner of Reyes and Blahovich. Yeah, most definitely, man. I, I love that matchup as well. Like you said, Santos versus Glover Teixeira. I think everybody who's been watching MMA for as long as you and me have, and especially you, understand that you're probably always going to root for the underdog in Glover Teixeira considering all that he's been doing for the sport in the last couple of years, but also just the type of victories that he's had over his last three fights against Kuntalaba, against Anthony Smith. You know, the list goes on. He, how many times has Glover... You know, he's been supposed to be knocked out his last three fights, and it seems like he's been coming from out of the grave in some of his hmm. fights and winning these big fights, man. And it's crazy because I would have never bet on him in those three fights, and here he is proving me and I'm sure a lot of other people wrong. And like you said, whoever wins that fight, that belt fight between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovic, uh, they, they're going to need some respect. So in the long run, I guess when everything is said and done, when we're talking again in two years and we see all these fights go down, I think whoever's a champion at that point, it's almost going to be like a Grand Prix style. It's like, who's going to be the, the guy who survives the gauntlet of like a, an elite eight type light heavyweight championship? You know, like Jerry Proczak, who's made it, you know, who's making his name prominent, Magomed Ankalaev. And now we're hearing that Anthony Rumble Johnson might be back in the mix for that belt, and he's come out of retirement. Yeah, no, I think it is an exciting time. I mean, it's kind of this double edged sword, right? Like, John Jones walking away kind of sucks for the division because John Jones is, is perhaps the greatest of all time. You know what I mean? So to have him leave the division, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, it really makes it a lot more interesting for everybody else involved because. 
no disrespect to any of the light heavyweights, but I just I just didn't favor any of them against John Jones. And so I think it made it kind of hard to get excited about people because, you know, they would win some fights, but then you would look at them and go, yeah, but come on, man, that, 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 that dude's not going to beat John Jones. And because of that, it, it made it a little bit difficult to get really excited about these. And so, you know, even Glover Teixeira, like, it is an amazing run, and it's super fun. You know, I mean, he's the old guy that just won't go away, right? But I still don't think I still don't yeah. think he beat John Jones. But could he be Dominic Reyes or Jan Blahovich? Yeah, probably so. So it makes it a little bit more intriguing. It makes it a little more entertaining. So on the one hand, you lose the greatness of, of having you know perhaps the goat in there, but it does kind of free things up for everybody else. Now, most definitely, man. And a guy that we haven't really talked about because he lost, but also he's had two losses in a row now, and that's Anthony Lionheart Smith. It wasn't that long ago that he was fighting John Jones for that light heavyweight championship belts of the world. He was unsuccessful. You know, he got a big win after that loss, but it's just been one. And he, everybody kind of thought, wow, Anthony might fight for a title again. He bet he beat Alexander Gustafsson. But sure enough, not the case after his last two losses. And, and we have to admit, man, these last two losses for Anthony Smith have not been easy losses. The, the, the beating that he took against Glover Teixeira in that fight in the beginning of the summer was absolutely brutal. And the way that Alexander Rakic was able to pretty much go through him with some ease, I think Anthony landed one good shot in that fight in the beginning of round number two. But besides that, he was getting thrown around like a rag doll. And I'm thinking, what what is going on through Anthony Smith's head right now? But sure enough, later, you know, after the fight and after everything else was said and done, he said that he felt that he was in a different weight class in there. He felt like Rakic was a lot bigger, a lot stronger than he is. And he's thinking maybe it's time to move down to middleweight, which left me a little bit confused because he wasn't that successful in the middleweight division, which is the reason why he moved up to light heavyweight where he had a lot of his success. What what happens with Anthony Smith? I feel like we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of the reasons I think everybody loves Anthony Smith is just how open and honest he is about it, about everything, you know, and, um, you know, he seems to be one of those body types that if there was like a 195 division, he'd be perfect for it, you know, kind of right in the middle of it. He said, look, I, I've, I've got to go one or two ways here. Either I've got to make a, a real lifestyle change and, and, and cut down the middleweight. But as he said, it's a lifestyle change. It's not something that he can just, you know, do in a camp or whatever. It's got to be year round. Or he's got to work on bulking up and being, you know, a, a bigger 205. I mean, he does have a big frame. Um, but just not, you know, near as muscular, I guess, as, as you, you know, Rakic was. So he's in a weird spot. And, and truth be told, he said he didn't uh, rush back from the from the glove loss, but it sure looked like maybe he did rush back a little bit. It just it just looked flat, you know. It was just the the performance, whether whether it was mental, whether it was physical, he just seemed a little bit flat in there. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a, a real crossroads time for Anthony Smith. I mean, I, I still think he's got some 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 gas left in the tank, but uh, you know, he probably needs to take some time off and, as he said, kind of really evaluate which way he's going to go. You know, talking about evaluations. And by the way, fans and gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. You could follow John on Twitter at MMAJunkie. John, if you're ever watching one of those big-time UFC cards, he's usually the guy in the front row sitting with a, a bright blue uh, <laughs> collar neck. And he'll be waving at the camera saying what's up to all of his fans because you know that he's got a lot of those. And uh, John and me, we're chilling. We're talking about the, the upcoming UFC fights. We've been, you know, we were talking about uh, fighters being stagnant, kind of like Anthony Smith was right now. And I think Robbie Lawler, who we saw this past weekend, is kind of similar in the same boat. 
as Anthony Smith when you look at his performance against Neil Magny, but also his last couple of fights where Robbie Lawler doesn't look like the former champion that we once saw, you know, behind the big screen. And Robbie Lawler, what's going on with him right now? Because we're talking about Neil Magny. I know Neil Magny has looked great in his last three fights, but if you're getting beat up by Neil Magny like that for three straight rounds without any sort of answer back, what does Robbie Lawler do? Is it time to retire, or should he just fight out his contract against guys he matches up well against, maybe a rematch against Carlos Condit? Yeah, that's, that's the interesting part is how to match him up. I think he's still got some fight left in him. I, I never did like the Magny matchup for him, to be honest with you, just the body type, the styles. At this point in Robbie Lawler's career, I don't think it was a great matchup for him. But, you know, kudos to him. He's, he wanted to fight, and he'll step in there with anybody. But to me, I think at this point in his career, I mean, it's clear – that, that Robbie Lawler is not going to be a, a champion again. So I don't think you worry about rankings. I don't think you worry about positioning the division. I, I think you worry about stylistic matchups, you know what I mean? And, and you said that, you know, a, a guy that's maybe a little longer in the tooth, um, that's, that's willing to throw down, that, that, that is not going to look to clinch, that is not going to look uh, to grapple, but still out you know, Robbie to do what we want to watch him do, right? I mean, everybody just wants to see him go out there and throw those bombs, right? So I, I think, you know, it's up to the yeah. matchmakers to kind of put him in there with fights like that because I don't think it's a situation where, you know, sometimes as veterans is get up there, you know, you, you worry about their chin and you, and you think it's not there anymore. And I don't think that's what we've seen out of Robbie Lawler. I just don't think that, you know, the the, the stylistic matchups of, of at the top level competition work out for him real well. So I think it's all about how the UFC matches up. And I, and I think they've got some fight. The, gr- the great thing about Robbie Lawler is he's such a legend of the sport. That even though he's on a losing streak, it's not like the next time he gets a fight announced, you're not going to be you know excited to watch him fight. I mean, he's Robbie Lawler. He's, you know, you want to watch him compete. So because of that, I think, he's, I think he's still got a couple fights left, but it's going to be up to the matchmakers to really make sure that they put him in a style that's going to be fun for him and fun for fans. We are talking to John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com on Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. We're talking UFC. We're talking about what's going to happen possibly in the UFC in the upcoming months, standings, uh, athletes like Robbie Lawler getting their ass whooped, mm. all that good stuff, man. And there's a, big time, there's a big time fight coming up this weekend for Alistair Overeem against Augusto Sakai. Uh, who do you have in this fight? Alistair says he wants to make another run for the title after beating Walt Harris, which he came in as an underdog. You know, people forget about Alistair Overeem and the success that he's had in the cage. You know, the guy has 64 professional fights. That's just absolutely crazy. And here he is taking on Augusto Sakai, you know, a, a guy who's coming off Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. He's undefeated in the UFC, and he has some pretty big bonds behind him, man. The guy likes to knock some fools out. Yeah, he does. I mean, I, listen, I think um, Sakai deserves some respect here, but I just don't think he's quite on Alistair Overeem's level just, just yet. I mean, it's still early in his career, and this, this will be the most experienced fighter. Of course, I mean, Overeem's one of the most experienced fighters in the game, period, as you said, but I just think there's a there's a level above in terms of, of what Overeem brings to the case. So I, I like Overeem in this fight. You know, whether or not uh, you know, he'll make another title run, that, that remains to be seen, but the great thing about heavyweight is that it doesn't take you know more than a couple of wins, and, and you're right there at the top, especially – when you have name recognition like Alistair Overeem, I mean, it's not it's not a guy, uh, you know, in a featured fight. So it doesn't take a lot of wins. And, and he did look good last time out. And I think, you know, that one was kind of a, a, a heart-wrenching one because everybody wanted to see, you know, good things for Paul Harris after what he had been through. But, um, you know, o- o- Overeem is still capable of competing at a very, very high level. And, I, and not that Gustav Kai doesn't have better days ahead. I just don't think he's there right now. Um, and, and I like Overeem in this fight. How do you not like a guy with 46 wins looking for 47? It's just kind of crazy to, when you see Alistair Overeem's record and the success that he's had in so many different promotions. 
always great times whenever Alistair Overeem is fighting. I know he wants another uh, another title shot, that's for sure, because he's never been a UFC champion before. Uh, do you think he could get there? Do you think he could climb that mountain one last time? Does he maybe get a John Jones fight? <laughs> that would be interesting, yeah. I think John Jones is going to hold out for a title shot. I mean, you see him right now really uh... – uh, you know, pumping for that Stipe Miocic fight and, and explaining to people why he would be the one that would make the most sense for the fight and why Francis Ngannou shouldn't get it right now. I don't know if he's going to be able to convince Dana White. But at the same time, you think about it. I mean, John is 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 admitted he wants to bulk up a little bit. You know, he wants to add some muscle to his frame since he's moving to heavyweight. Um, and, and so that, I think that's going to take a little time. If you want to do it right, you know, it's going to take some time to pack on that muscle. So I don't hate the idea of, of Ngannou Miocic running it back first and then John getting the winner of that I don't think you necessarily want to put John Jones in a in, in a in a quote-unquote warm-up fight you know what I mean I, I think you what, yeah. what you do is have him come in and fight for the title because you know what if he does lose that I mean it's, it's very it's very possible he would lose I mean that's what's so interesting about him moving the heavyweight is we want to see how he can do against bigger guys um but I think you know maximizing on the on the potential for everybody I mean it is about selling pay-per-views um I, I think you want the title to be on the line so I, I don't see I could be wrong but I just don't see the UFC wanting to book John Jones in a non-title fight uh, before they give him a crack at the belt. It's just a matter of, you know, what what kind of order this all this all goes in. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I, I don't know what's going to happen with that either. We've seen the, the, the things on Twitter happening over the last few days. Francis kind of calling out Stipe saying, why are you running? Stipe saying that the, that the Francis fight doesn't really excite him anymore because he's already whooped that ass before. John Jones wants his title shot. I think the fans want to see John Jones and, and Stipe go at it. You know, fans have, have short-term memory, that's for <laughs> sure. And when it comes to Stipe just beating Daniel Cormier, he's relevant right now. He's fresh right now. If Dana, Sean Shelby, and Mick Maynard are to start promoting John Jones, Stipe, Miocic, I think that'll blow up. I know Francis would be unhappy. And I want I want it for Francis myself because Francis is just a good guy, man. It's so hard to root against Francis Ngannou, you know. But in this case, I think he might be on the back end of the stick just based on business itself. When you look at the money that that fight could bring in right now, John Jones and Stipe Miocic, it, it, would, be, it would be awesome, man. It could happen, yeah. I mean, you know, Dana White has gone out of his way to say, look, no, Francis is next, Francis is next. Uh, but things change, you know what I mean? It's all going to depend on when Stipe's ready, you know what I mean? I'm sure that they would like to get in uh, Ghana versus Stipe first. And then, because, I mean, listen, I mean, w- what's bigger than, than Stipe and John Jones? Maybe Ngannou is champion and John Jones would be even bigger of a fight, you know what I mean? So maybe that's the way the UFC is looking at it. It's like, hey, if we have this fight first, we know we're getting John and Stipe, or we may get John and Francis, which I would argue might even be bigger, you know I mean? Just because Francis is, is so easy to sell. I mean, the scariest guy on the planet, you know, it's not hard to look at him and, and realize what he brings to the table. So, um, you know, even casual fans, you know, don't have to understand the sport to see that the guy's dangerous. So um, I think it's all going to depend on, on when Stipe is ready to fight, and then the UFC is going to have to make some decisions. We're talking to John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. Last thoughts, John. I got some questions for you, some rumors going on around the fight world. You know, one of my favorite fighters, former Bellator fighter Mike Chandler, you know, lots of rumors on where he's going to go. Could he go to one and fight Eddie Alvarez and do that whole trilogy? Should he go to the UFC and fight the best guys in the world and maybe get a shot at Khabib? I don't know. When Mike Chandler beat Brett Prentice in Hawaii, we asked, we asked Mike Chandler right there and then, 
Who would you want to fight if you could fight any lightweight in the world? And he didn't hesitate. He said Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think Mike Chandler is going to the UFC just based on legacy. What do you think? I think so as well. I mean, it looks that way. I mean, I, I'm not ruling out a return to Bellator, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, he's been kind of the face of the company for a long time. And I think what he's doing is smart. You know, he's testing the free agent waters and seeing what his real value is on the open market. And I think that's incredibly intelligent. And I think more fighters should be. Um, it, it really does come down to, to who's going to write the biggest checks. Uh, you know, I think he wants to make sure that he's setting up his family for, for you know, time to come and, and, and ready, moving on to the next phase of his life because he knows he can't fight forever. But, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, right? I mean, I, I always if it's important to you to say that you're the best fighter in the world, I think you have to compete in the UFC at some point. I, I just don't think you can compete outside the UFC your entire career and say that you were the best in the world. Not that your skill level isn't there. But, you know, you need to beat those names, those recognizable ranked guys to say, look, man, you know, I, I beat the Dustin Poirier's of the world, the Tony Ferguson's of the world, the Justin Gaethje's of the world, the even Habib Nurmagomedov's of the world, which, of course, nobody can say yet. Um, but, you know, so it does come down to, you know, what's most important. Now, if the, if the, if the checks are the same, you know, then, then you've got options to make because, you know, if you can make the same pay and maybe fight a little bit lesser quality of opponent, you know, that might be the smarter thing in terms of conserving your health for future times. Uh, but in terms of legacy, I think you got to go do it against the best. I'm not completely ruling out a return to Bellator yet. I think I think he really wants to see, uh, you know, what's available to him. But, man, as you said, anytime you speak to Chandler and you see the kind of guy he is, I think he's the kind of person that wants to challenge himself against the absolute best. And, yeah. and while Bellator was a great thing for him to do for a long time, you know, they, they really supported him and they really stood behind him and elevated him as a featured name in their brand, um, I think there's a big part of, of him that doesn't want to you know, hang it up without saying, I tested myself against the absolute best in the world. I'm with you, man. And I'm, I'm really hoping he decides to go to the UFC. I don't have anything against any other promotion. I love watching fights, period. But, you know, thinking of, of Iron Mike Chandler facing some of those big-time lightweights in the UFC, you know, it's a pay-per-view no matter what for me. Question for you based on Mike Chandler, man, because when I went to, to his open workouts, I've seen a lot of guys do their open workouts, but I've never seen anything like Mike Chandler's open workout, man. It looks like he's in a fight with those pads every single time. It's a fight night every warm-up. Yeah, that dude doesn't do anything half-assed, does he, man? He's full speed all the time, man. He is, a, he is an intense individual, man, and, and obviously – He's just such a good guy, too, man. He's so well-spoken, and he's, he's such a quality individual as well. So I think that's another thing, you know, like whatever promotion lands his services. Um, and, like, I really do feel it's a two-horse race. No disrespect to, you know, one championship or, or anything like that, but I, I think it's a, it's a two-horse race between, you know, staying where he's been and going to the UFC. But wherever he, he, he does end up, I mean, you're getting a quality human being as well as a great fighter as well. So he's, he's, he's an awesome representative of the brand. Uh, thanks, John. You know, one last thing from you. We have Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series coming up today. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Who should we watch for today? Uh, some picks that you might want to give, anything like that, because we got a couple of champions in there today. Ring of Combat featherweight champion Dennis Bazucha in there today. And also, Mr. Brundage, lights out champion, light heavyweight champion, and lights out middleweight champion. He's in there today as well against a. Uh, uh, a developmental guy from the UFC and William Knight. Yeah, no, I think, you're, I think you you hit on the ones that are probably the most intriguing to me. Um, those names that you mentioned are, are, are all you know very well matched up and have a little bit of pedigree behind them as well. A lot of people high on Bazooka and uh, Melsic as well. Man, people are kind of raw, kind of a newer product, but um, people are really high on his abilities as well. So I, I think those two are really kind of the most intriguing. I, I really do think this is a good card. I think it's, I think it's gonna be a fun. I think there's some nice matchups on there. So those those are definitely the two that I would uh, that I would keep your eye on the most.
You heard it from the man himself, John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining the show, man. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. We had a lot of fun in episode one talking to John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. We did a little preview with the upcoming UFC fights and also broke down what happened in the previous UFC number eight fight in Las Vegas. Also, we broke down a lot of NBA games and what will happen in round number two. Don't forget about those game sevens that we have coming up today and later on this week between the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder, as well as the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Which two teams will come? out alive. We'll break all that stuff out next week and see who won between Alistair Overeem and Augusta Sakai at UFC Vegas number 9. This has been Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. We'll see you guys next week. Aloha.